Welcome to TW Now, where we examine today's news and issues in light of the Bible. I'm Scott Winnale. Most who call themselves Christian think they know their religion well. But how well do we really know the roots and the origins of modern Christianity and many of its beloved traditions? As many of our viewers may know, the Christianity that society understands today is quite a bit different than the Christianity that Jesus Christ and the apostles established in the first century AD. Many of the tenets are the same, yet many of the traditions made their way into what became known as Christianity via some very questionable avenues. Are you ready to understand where many of Christianity's popular traditions came from and why this even matters? To help us in our quest for biblical truth, we have two returning TW Now guests, both of whom bring a great deal of understanding to our discussion today. I'd like to welcome back Mr. Gerald Weston. Mr. Weston is a Tomorrow's World presenter and a writer and a minister of religion. Two of Mr. Weston's Tomorrow's World telecasts that relate directly to our program today are entitled The Easter Controversy and also Christ versus Christianity. He's also authored the booklet entitled Easter, The Untold Story. Again, welcome back to the studio, Mr. Thank Weston. Thank you, Dr. Scott. And Mr. Peter Nathan, welcome, sir. Mr. Nathan is a minister of religion. He's also a Tomorrow's World writer. He has, a he has been a university-level theology faculty member. And in his teaching experience, he developed and taught courses that include Old Testament survey, the epistles of Paul, and major and minor prophets, all of which relate actually very closely to our program today. So again, it's good to have you back with us. And thank you for joining us from England tonight. Thank you very much, Dr. Scott. For our, I'm sorry about that. Yeah, we're glad to have you here. For our audience, if you have questions as we carry out our discussion today, please feel free to message us. We'll do our best to address some of your questions. And we encourage you, too, to subscribe to our YouTube channel, like and share today's program. Okay, let's get started, gentlemen, with question number one. And Mr. Nathan, I'll go to you first. Why should it matter where Christian traditions come from? Isn't it enough that people believe in Jesus Christ and worship him? Well, it's interesting if you take probably one of the best known parts of the New Testament, the Lord's Prayer, which is stated daily, probably hangs on the walls of many people's homes. It says right at the beginning, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, the whole principle of a Christian life was to do God's will. And yet most people unwittingly go about doing somebody else's will. So the prayer says, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is done totally in heaven. Is it being done totally on earth? I would say the answer to that is no. And that is a very good reason for us to examine this particular topic in hand. Okay, we'll definitely come back to those comments. Mr. Wesson, what are your thoughts? Well, there are numerous scriptures, actually, that we could turn to. One would be uh, Luke, the sixth chapter, verse 46, where Jesus said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord? Now, people talk about the Lord did this, the Lord did that for me. But do they understand that that word really meant master? We might say boss. Mm. So they call him Lord, 
but then he said, and do not do the things which I say. So we would have to know what the Bible says to know what, uh, what Christ's will is. And in light of that, I'd like to just mention something here. Uh, some years ago, I, I read uh, Neil Postman's book, uh, The Amusing Ourselves to Death, 1985, a book that came out. And in it, he brought out something that is, I think, extremely interesting. We use the mantra that a picture is worth a thousand words. And that sounds real good. Everybody uses that expression, it seems like. But what he brought out was that a picture is an instant in time. That's all it captures. It doesn't capture what went before, what went after, what's above, what's below, what's on either side of it. And so a picture can be extremely deceptive or limiting. And in this age of uh, trivial pursuit, we have, he brought that out, uh, we have a trivial pursuit. And we think that intelligence is based on how many little disconnected facts one might know. Uh, but we live in an age where people do not know context. They don't know what went before and what after. And if we looked into the history of Christianity, uh, for those who truly do, as well as the Bible, I think they would be shocked at why they do the things that they do. Mm -hmm. Mr. Nathan, anything to, to add to Mr. Weston's comments? Well, I think context is uh, an enormous issue that people overlook. Uh, people look at religion from the point of view of what it does for them. Now, of course, to a large extent, I living here in England should not be talking about this subject. A headline in The Spectator a couple of weeks ago uh, was on the question of uh, the need for a re-energized belief in Christianity, in which the subhead said, most British people seem to take it on faith that to have faith is stupid. And so we live in a, a, a world today in which the Bible is not respected for what it really is, the Word of God. And people seek their own ends rather than God's will. Mm -hmm. I'm going to dig just a little bit deeper, Mr. Weston, and you probably come back with some of the same comments, but I know as a minister, I've been confronted with people who will really make the observation, you know, the history of some of these beliefs or the history of some of these traditions is one thing, but I don't think about that history when I'm keeping some of these days or keeping some of these traditions. And if I'm not thinking about them, what does it really matter? Well, again, we get back to uh, what, what Christ said. And when you look at the New Testament, you find that uh, Jesus explained uh, in Matthew, the 24th chapter, uh, that one of the first signs of the end of the age is that uh, there would be people who would use the name of Christ, claim that Jesus is the Christ, but would deceive many. And over in Revelation 12, verse 9, it speaks of Satan who has deceived the whole world. Mm -hmm. A deceived person doesn't know that he's deceived. And there are many very sincere people out here, but they've been told that it doesn't matter as long as uh, they're, they're celebrating Christ. But wouldn't it make sense that if someone is celebrating something about you, that they would do so in a way that is pleasing to you? And uh, over in Isaiah, the 66th chapter, um, the, the Bible explains how uh, they were serving or worshiping God in a way that he is not pleased. 
And that's the big question. I would also ask the question, why do people do the things they do? What, why do they give gifts at Christmas, for example? Why do they sing, oh, Christmas tree, oh, Christmas tree? Why do they uh, do it on the 25th of December, which was the, uh, you know, a day that celebrated Mithra, the, the sun god? Uh, all of the things that they do uh, go back to that. And so you'd have to ask, well, well, why would somebody want to do that? But even more importantly, why wouldn't they do the things that Christ did? Why wouldn't they follow his example? Why wouldn't they do the things that are found in the Bible? So they reject what the Bible says to do what, what custom and tradition says. Okay. Well, let's, I'm going to come back to you for this one. And Mr. Nathan, please feel free to jump in as well. Yes, well, seeing we're talking about Isaiah, Jesus Christ actually quoted from Isaiah when he told the people of his day a truism that holds exactly true in the situation you just presented. He said, in vain you worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. We don't follow the commandments of God. And so it's not a matter of ignoring the history, it's a question of whose commandments are you ultimately going to follow, God's or man's? So it really sounds like it's a very personal decision and a personal choice that it boils down to. Very much. Okay. Well, Mr. Weston, you sort of opened the door here for the next piece of our discussion. I want to come to both of you and ask you, what are some examples of traditions that are part and parcel, if you will, to modern Christianity that do have roots in not only history and, frankly, pre-Christian history, but also paganism. And you've started down that road. Well, with Christmas, I, I think that uh, you have to ask the question, what is, what is not from uh, heathen or, or uh, pagan practices. It, it basically all is. Uh, Christmas is a combination of about three different uh, main uh, holidays uh, of the Roman world. Uh, you have the, uh, the Saturnalia, which was the 17th to the 21st of December. And that's where they gave little uh, dolls to one another where everybody was equal. You could be a uh, you could be the emperor or the uh, yeah the emperor or the uh, the Caesar, but everybody was equal at that time. Uh, the slaves. It was a, a very interesting celebration. Uh, then you have uh, the birthday of Mithra, uh, the 25th of December, which had to do with the returning of the sun. The shortest day of the year is around the 22nd or so of December, and it's starting to come back. So the rebirth of the sun. Uh, that's why they call it. Uh, uh, you know, so much of of uh, uh, of religion today, so-called Christian religion, uh, observes various sun symbols, uh, the, the lights, the everything on the, the tri Christmas tree and so forth. But also, um, you know, uh, it was Constantine who said that uh, they were to celebrate the, or they were to rest on the venerable day of the sun, meaning Sunday. And we call it Sunday. Now, of course, Saturday, people come back and say, well, that's Saturn. Uh, but when you look at other languages, for example, Spanish and, and many other languages, the day that we call Saturday or Saturn's day is Sabado, uh, meaning Sabbath. And so uh, that's, that's a change from, 
from what uh, was originally there. But uh, all this sun worship that's involved there, and then of course the calends, the end of the year. So you mix all these in there, and then you add in a lot of other influences from Europe later on, and that's where we have the, the modern Christmas. Mm -hmm. Mr. Nathan, thoughts to add? Yeah, certainly. Uh, it, it's interesting as one looks back through history to see the way in which these issues were dividing issues between people. Uh, for instance, the idea that Jesus Christ kept the law, as is set out there in Matthew chapter 5, think not that I've come to destroy the law of the prophets, I've not come to destroy but to fulfill, and what the word fulfill means. People saw that which meant that Jesus Christ would have kept what are currently called Jewish festivals. Jesus Christ would have kept the Day of Atonement, not the fasts that were part of a Roman calendar. And we find this being a, a point of issue between people who wanted to follow Jesus Christ and those who wanted to follow the ideas of men for centuries throughout the uh, time after the Apostles. Hmm. Why would pagan customs have been allowed into Christianity in the first place? Uh, why would the leaders of the Christian church, who, who knew about these customs around them, why would they let these things make their way into uh, Christianity? Mr. Weston. Well, I suppose you'd have to ask them for sure, but I think it's obvious that in the Roman world where everybody was doing all these things, it was a hard sell to uh, sell a different set of days instead of keeping what we now call Christmas, but uh, several holidays there in December, uh, and uh, Ishtar, another uh, day that was, was later kept. Uh, it, it was hard for them to sell them on keeping the Passover, the days of unleavened bread, and the days that are found in Scripture. So it was just easier. And they, they no doubt reasoned that it's better for us to put Christ's name on these days and have these people worshiping this way. But again, it, uh, it leaves God out of the picture entirely. Mm -hmm. Mr. Nathan. Yeah, if, if I might, let me introduce a great debate that took place at the end of the fourth century. When this, you might say, come to a fall, when the pagan ideas had really permeated what was supposedly Christianity. And you have Augustine as a bishop of Hippo on the one hand, and uh, on the other hand, we have Faustus, who was a heretic in terms of the Orthodox Church. He was a follower of um, the Manichees, and uh, Faustus really put his finger on it. He said, in a schism, little or no change is made from the original, as, for instance, you, Augustine, Christianity, in your schism from the Gentiles, have brought with you the doctrine of a single principle, for you believe that all things are of God. The sacrifices you change into feasts, the idols into martyrs, to whom you pray as they do to their idols. You appease the shades of a departed with wine and food. You keep the same holidays as the Gentiles, for example, the calends, the sol solstices. In your way of living, you have made no change. 
plainly you are a mere schism, for the only difference from the original is that you meet separately. So here was a an outsider speaking to one of the leading church fathers, you might say, of his day, and saying, you've changed nothing. You've just done a little bit of window dressing here. You're exactly the same as the Gentiles beforehand. And you've added, as Mr. Weston said, the name of Christ to it without changing anything. Mm-hmm. Of course, that appeases people. That makes very easy for people to become called Christian as opposed to pagan. It makes me, makes me think, um, and it actually asks the question, when God calls us to his truth, does he expect us to remain the same or does he expect us to change? Because that's, it seems like that's exactly what you're talking about there. With a, a group of people, it's, it, it is more comfortable to stay the same, but does Jesus Christ really expect us to do something different? Well, I think it goes right to the heart and the core of uh, his message from the very beginning. In Mark, the first chapter, verses 14 and 15, uh, he says, repent and believe the gospel. Uh, We are to change from what we are. Uh, These days that are kept in, in this world have a lot of accoutrements to them that are not Christian, sometimes heavy drinking. Uh, there are all kinds of uh, problems with it. But I, I think the, the real big question is, why would people take days that God said we ought to keep? And those days, we have a, a booklet on the subject, uh, Holy Days, uh, God's plan, Master Plan for Mankind. Mm-hmm. Why would we take those days which have real significance and meaning throw them out the the door, and then borrow from the pagans and from the heathens and say, okay, well, we'll worship Christ in this way. And that's exactly what people have done. They've, they've, They've cast out what God said. There's a hostility toward God and toward his laws. It says there in Romans 8, verse 7, the carnal mind, the physical fleshly mind, apart from God working with it, is, is, uh, enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. And I think that's an element that people don't realize, that our very nature is hostile to God. And that's why we have to come to real repentance, real change. Mm-hmm. Mr. Nathan, you mentioned a few minutes back, or we mentioned about uh, Sunday worship, worshiping God on Sunday as the Sabbath. Uh, do you have any other thoughts about that, the, the history, perhaps, of how Sunday made its way into modern Christianity? Well, to a certain extent, I think the desire was to separate Christianity from the Jewish religions of that period of time and make a distinction. Uh, now, of course, Christ and the apostles did not seek to make that distinction, uh, as later people did. So the easy way of making that distinction was by adopting the day of the sun. The uh, uh, Constantine already mentioned uh, this this, uh, afternoon, talking about worshiping on the day of the sun, uh, the early part of the fourth century. So this is well established by that point in time. And uh, people worshiping the sun and uh, making that appear to be Jesus Christ. 
rather than the pagan artifacts that had gone beforehand. It seems like that this, the concept of the sun or worship of the sun has been very prevalent historically. And we, it's, we see that as it runs through Sunday and worship on that day, through Christmas, as you've mentioned, even Easter, there's, there's a sunrise service that ties in there. So we, we see this theme mm -hmm. working through many of our traditions in modern Christianity. You've got a comment, I think. Well, uh, the book of Jude, it's the next to last book in the, uh, the New Testament. And Jude writes a very short book, and a lot of times people read over these things, and they don't think much of what's, what's being said. They don't really meditate on it, if they even read it at all. But he says in verse 3, he says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly. Notice, contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Now, we sometimes take that expression and think that let's get back to the faith which was once delivered, we think of the 1800s or something. But that's not what Jude was writing. He was saying getting this, he was writing at the end of the first century, and he said getting back to the faith because already people were beginning to stray from that. And he says, for certain men have uh, crept in unaware or unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So they've taken the grace of God and uh, basically said that, well, it really doesn't matter what we do. We don't have to keep that law that God has given to us. Uh, when, when Jesus spoke of the scriptures, he was talking about the Old Testament scriptures, the same thing the Apostle Paul and all the other New Testament writers. But they want to throw all of that out and put it under a different law and basically just do what they want to do because human nature is that way. We want to do what we want to do, and we don't want anybody telling us what to do. Well, you're referencing us back to the Old Testament. We've, we've spent a lot of time in the New Testament so far. Uh, I can't think about the topics that we're talking about today without thinking about Deuteronomy chapter 12. And Mr. Nathan, I, I think you probably understand where I'm going with that. Maybe you could make some comments about God's comments there in Deuteronomy chapter 12 related to paganism in the worship of him. I think it's one of the great misunderstandings people have. They understand the Bible talks about covenants, and we see that in terms of something that I agree to, that I buy into and accept, whereas a covenant is much more uh, imposing than that. And a covenant is made by the superior party. In this case, in terms of a Bible, it is made by God. And he dictates what we are to do. We don't have a choice in the matter. If we're going to be part of that covenant, we have to do what he says to do. We don't have that freedom of choice. Now, of course, in this day and age, that would be considered abusive. But yet... It was not abusive. It was for our benefit and for our well-being. And so we find in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 12, we uh, pick it up there at the end of the chapter. Uh, he said, uh, let's pick it up in verse 29. When the eternal your God cuts off from before you the nations which you go to dispossess and displace them and dwell in the land, 
He said, take heed to yourself that you're not ensnared to follow them. Don't follow what they did. Don't even seek to learn about what they did. He said, you're not to inquire after their God, saying, how do these nations serve their God? I will do also likewise. You shall not worship the eternal your God in that way. So the idea of syncretism, of bringing in other ideas to be able to worship God in a way which may be suitable to the land, like Jeroboam did in northern the northern kingdom. He said, don't do it. Uh, every abomination to the eternal which he hates, they have done to their gods, though they burn even their sons and daughters in the fire. Whatever I command you, be careful to observe it. Do not add to it nor take it away. So here's a very strict, very dogmatic, if we can use that term, outline of how they were to serve the eternal their God. They weren't given choice, as people demand today. Well, Mr. Weston, wasn't that just a command for the Israelites of old, given by an Old Testament God? Well, I think that uh, Mr. Nathan really uh, opened up the door for us to talk about the New Covenant. Uh, you know, it's interesting to me that in Hebrews, the eighth chapter, we actually have the Old Testament quoted. He quotes from Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, in uh, chapter 31, uh, where he talks about the, the new covenant that is to come. And unlike what many people think, the new covenant does not do away with God's law. For example, it says, This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now, I think so many times I've heard people express it this way, that, well, God just speaks to my heart, and whatever's in my heart, that's, that's what I'm supposed to do. Mm -hmm. But here it says, I will put my laws in their hearts and their minds. It's not, it's not my laws, it's God's laws. And since it's quoting from Jeremiah, the 31st chapter there, it's very clear which laws he's talking about, the law of God. And so the new covenant in no way does away with the, with the, uh, the laws that he instituted. Uh, again, I ask the question, I think it's a very relevant question, why would we throw aside the days that God has said we ought to keep that are found in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul keeping them, Jesus Christ himself keeping them, the Feast of Tabernacles under the threat of death, uh, references all through the book of Acts to these days, uh, Pentecost being the day that God poured out His Holy Spirit, uh, Passover being the day that Christ was crucified, all these very relevant days. Why would we throw those out and pick up something that is trivial and meaningless in comparison? Okay. Mr. Nathan, I want to ask for a little bit more feedback here. Mr. Weston's beginning to point some of those things out. This God who gave that command that you read in the 12th chapter of Deuteronomy. Again, isn't that an Old Testament God? You, you talked about how in, in Paul's writings in, in Hebrews, God does want to put his laws in our hearts. But wasn't this a law for Old Testament people by an Old Testament God? Well, the being who was the God of Israel and who is seen as being the God of the Old Testament 
was in fact the one who became incarnated as Jesus Christ. So it says he changes not. Malachi chapter uh, chapter 3, he changes not. Therefore, you sons of Judah, though Jacob, are not consumed. Uh, Hebrews 13, Jesus Christ, the same today, uh, yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, he doesn't change. So these are ideas that existed in the mind of God, the God family, if we can use that expression, from before the creation of the earth as a way in which humanity should live in accordance with the will of God. And coming back to that, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah, I, I think that uh, there are so many scriptures in the New Testament that show who the God of the Old Testament was, who Jesus was before his human birth. But I think one of the most powerful statements is in 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, where he says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers who entered the cloud all passed through the sea. He's talking about the children of Israel walking through the Red Sea. And they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. It was a type of putting to death their old way of life and coming up to a new way of life. But then it says, all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So he was the one that was working with ancient Israel, contrary to what people uh, often think. And there, there's so much evidence to that. Uh, in Colossians, the first chapter says, all things, visible and invisible, were created by, are created by and through him, through Christ. So he was the God of the Old Testament in reality. And we have information on that subject. Uh, I'll just refer to uh, a booklet that I wrote on John 3.16. Everybody thinks they know everything that there is to know about it, or people who, who read it. But there's so much in that, and, and part of, his, of that is knowing who the Father is and who the Son is. Mm -hmm. I'm going to hit you with a question from our audience, and one of you can raise your hand for this one. It says, how does the serpent on the pole, think back to Moses, how does that relate to Jesus Christ on the cross? Paganism seems to have adopted both symbols. Any thoughts? I'll pass it to Mr. Weston. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe, well, the, wait, go ahead. Yeah, I, I think that for one thing, uh, that that pole with the serpent, it had, you have to read the whole context of it. There were uh, serpents that were biting the, the children of Israel and everything. Uh, but that particular pole eventually became an idol for the people. And so at a later time, one of the kings actually destroyed one of the good kings because they were worshiping that. Uh, I, I'd have to look at that a lot more than, mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't want to speak off the cuff too much more than that. Okay. But it's a very good question. <laughs> Let me ask you another one then. Here's, here's one from the audience. Uh, is keeping the Sabbath and God's holy days important for salvation? The way that you're talking about it, it seems to imply that. Why, why do you say that that way? Well, I think it's, you have to look at the big picture on that. Uh, are, are there people who 
did not know of them uh, that may be saved, that, that's, that's hard to say for sure. Uh, but, but it was a huge, a huge uh, issue there. The Holy Days portray the plan of God. And one of the lessons of the Holy Days is that this is not the only age in which God is working with people. What about those people who have never heard the name of Jesus Christ? What about those who, who have heard of Him, but they're so confused by all the religious confusion out here? What, what's going to happen with them? Uh, we have to understand that, again, there, there are a number of issues in the Holy Days, the Sabbath, are just part of a, a much greater picture. There are those who, who try to separate, well, this is a salvation issue and this is not. But if you know something to be right, as it says, uh, the Apostle Paul says, he that knows to do good and doesn't, and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. And if we're going to reject knowingly something that God tells us to do, it becomes sin. And so it can become a salvation issue. We can't save ourselves by our works, but we can sure disqualify ourselves, as uh, even the scriptures say. Okay. Mr. Nathan. I'd not too much to add to that. That's a very important thing. The, but if one is seeking to do God's will, and he sets out what one should do, why would one not do it? One then rebels against the will of God. And we're, we're to love God with all our heart, our mind, our being. Mm -hmm. And uh, why would someone not want to do what God wants? Mm -hmm. And through obeying God, you, you learn this whole plan that he's working out here below. If you don't keep those days, you're not really going to understand God's plan. You may understand little bits and pieces, but you won't understand the, the big picture. Mm -hmm. that, that leads me to another question here. We've, our audience, I think, is a pretty sharp audience, and I think many of them really do want to obey God and do it God's way. Knowing what we know and what we've been discussing about the origins of much of Christianity, at least and especially uh, the traditions of modern Christianity, what can we do individually in order to keep from being deceived by these types of things that we come across? Mr. Nathan, what are your thoughts about that, avoiding deception? Well, the starting point is to read God's Word, because that is His handbook for humanity, how humanity should live. Uh, I think that that's very much a starting point. Uh, interestingly, when uh, Gentiles were coming into the church, early church. James talked about how the, that Moses and the prophets were read in every city. In other words, they could avail themselves to understanding of the Word of God on a regular basis on the Sabbath day in the synagogues around the Roman Empire. Mm -hmm. Sister Weston? I, I was thinking exactly the same thing. Uh, I would just add that so many people reject the Old Testament and forget that that is really the foundation upon which everything else is built. So often the apostles and Christ himself quoted from the Old Testament scriptures. And so how can you understand what Jesus or the apostles were saying if you don't go back to the very beginning? And if you read the Bible for what it says, you're going to have a problem keeping some of the days that uh, the people do and following the traditions of men. Mm. I like the way... Uh, one of our predecessors used to put it that some people call it the Old Testament, but Christ and the Apostle Paul called it the Scriptures, which gives Very us good. an That's interesting right. perspective. That's right. A helpful perspective. Mr. The Nathan. Holy scriptures. Say that the again. Holy scriptures. 
scriptures. Ah, yes, yes. The holy scriptures. Right. Yes. So, in other words, they were seen as being God-given. Mm-hmm. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, as Paul told Timothy. Inspiration means God-breathed. And they had a high regard in the New Testament, as we call it, uh, for the Holy Scriptures. And so why, if they regard them so importantly, why would we just reject them? Mm -hmm. He said it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for instruction and righteousness, that the man of God might be uh, thoroughly equipped or furnished. Uh, So, uh, again, we can't throw part of the Bible out and just accept, okay, we just have to believe in Christ and that's it. And then we can do anything we want to from there. Gentlemen, I'm looking at the the time and we need to wind this down. We've talked today about uh, the need for choosing to follow God. We've talked about some of the pagan origins of modern beliefs in Christianity. Uh, We've talked a little bit about the importance of the Old Testament as a tool, as well as the New Testament, to synthesize these perspectives through. Mr. Nathan, let's start with you. What what kind of a take-home message do you have for our audience today? What would you like to leave them with? Jesus Christ made the statement that he came down from heaven not to do his own will, but the will of him who sent him. In other words, he wanted to see God's will done on earth just as it was in heaven. And that is what people have got to pursue. Stop looking for their own will and start seeking to find out what our Father's will is and start living that way. Difficult to do, but so profound and important. Mr. Weston. I would, uh, that, that's very good, uh, Mr. Nathan. I really appreciate you putting it so succinctly, really. Um, I think that we, we need to recognize there's a difference between having knowledge and living according to that knowledge. Mm-hmm. And Christ continually uh, spoke of the people, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things I do? And in, in so many words, different, different places, different ways. Uh, it's one thing to know something. It's another thing to do it. And so if someone is listening to this program, if they're hearing some of these things, I would hope that they would have a few questions and that they would open up the scriptures and find out what the Bible truly does say. But we're only going to understand it as we do it. And so when you learn about a particular truth, maybe you, you ask the question, is, is the Sabbath, is it Saturday or is it Sunday? Or is it even important? Uh, when you answer that question, if you fail to react or act upon that knowledge, then why should God give you more understanding, more knowledge? It's, it's not a matter of just having read it, but you need God's help. You need to pray about it before you uh, study the Word of God, because God can open your mind. In fact, God has to open your mind or you'll never understand it. Uh, no man can come to me except the Father in heaven draw him. That's what Jesus said. So you have to have God working with you to understand it. But when you do come across something, as a truth of Scripture, You've got to live it. Yes. Thank you. Mr. Weston, thank you for being here today. My pleasure. It's good to have you back with us. Mr. Nathan, always good to have you with us, sir. 
Delight to be with you. And hope you have a very good remainder of your evening. Thank you very much. For our audience, our discussion today boils down to the godly virtue of truth, doesn't it? What is the truth about our own religious beliefs and how much of it, how much does it matter to us? More importantly, how much of the truth do we want to hold fast to? Many Christians I've met really do care about discovering and following the truth. The challenge is that sometimes following the truth leads us on a different path than we are comfortable with, as we just sort of discussed. A different path than we have known all our lives. And that's where faith comes in. Faith and a desire to obey God and Christ, as Mr. Nathan said, above all things. If you want to learn more about the history of today's Christianity, we want to give you a free copy of our booklet, Satan's Counterfeit Christianity. You can see it here. This is one of probably our most revealing and most well-documented booklets that we have to offer, and it's available for you. You can order it, you can download it, or you can read it at tomorrowsworld.org, and that's Satan's Counterfeit Christianity. I think if you've not read it, you'll be fascinated by what it has to say, and you might be a little shocked by the history that it reveals. To learn more about today's news and issues in light of the Bible, we encourage you to tune in each week to TW Now. Next week, we plan to discuss the topic, Keys to Financial Freedom, might be helpful to you as well. We invite you to uh, like, to share, or to, and to subscribe to our YouTube channel. And again, we look forward to seeing you again next week on TW Now.